0: 2013 2015 outbreak um started with a boy who was infected by a bat yeah. probably like was playing in a cave and was bitten
1: right oh man that's like the stuff like from a horror film or something like that isn't right, it right like
0: if it was a comic book he would have developed superpowers but since <laughs> it's not we just got a terrible pandemic oh man
1: this is Things Can Only Get Greater, the podcast where we discuss how small changes can make a big difference in fighting the climate crisis, with me, Victoria Cook, and Adam Costello. Hello, 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 and welcome. Hope you're all right this week. Uh, so, Adam.
2: Hmm, Victoria.
1: For me, this week, uh, it's been a canny kind of tough week.
2: Yeah, I think, well, I, the last time we released the podcast was probably a week and a half ago. So, yeah,
1: yeah, I sort of hit the wall this
2: week. Yeah, I, I reckon like the uh, novelty value and the uh, kind of romantic uh, side of this whole situation may have worn off this it week. It just to me. got
1: real. Yeah, shit got real, Adam, didn't yeah. it? This but, week Yeah, no, And <laughs> well, we realised. For 24-7, for seven weeks, we've been locked up with a teenager. Mm. And it's kind of tricky. Um, And also, i tell you what's sort of like bringing me down, though I feel really bad saying it, is all these Zoom calls.
2: Oh, gosh, yeah. Right?
1: There's part of us that wishes had taken out shares in Zoom. Like, genuinely. Like, who would have thought to have done that? Like, they'll be swimming in cash right now.
2: (laughs) It does make you think where the pandemic came from and whether Zoom were behind it all. Mm, Maybe yeah. old Trumpy face uh, had shares in Zoom, like he had shares in that, uh, what do you call it, drug that I can't say the name of, yeah. which he couldn't say the name of I mean, either.
1: that's bananas, isn't it? Old Trumpy pants. I think mm. anything he says, you've just got to disregard.
2: Did he have shares in Domestos Bleach?
1: No, he didn't.
2: Do you remember the name that Big John advert? Oh God,
1: that was so long ago. No one is gonna know.
2: I that. reckon he was behind that. Advert.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, Zoom for me, right? Zoom is like standing in a room, right? Whenever I zoom with my family, it's like standing in a room, just being punched repeatedly in the face with jawdy words and phrases nonstop. That that's what it's like. It's uh, chaotic.
2: Yeah, it's uh, no one really understands the take it in turns uh, to speak rule. You know when your head flashes up. I think like the older generation no one... are slowly coming around to how that works, but you can't exactly say you just show up one second while this person speaks.
1: Totally, and then you've got like a close-up of like your dad's head mm-hmm. or something like that, and then like your nana's ear, you know, <laughs> and like no one gets it, everyone's talking at the same time, and it's, some of them are so broad jawdy, you don't even know what they're saying right, that's, that's my family experience of Zoom, and then they're trying to do a quiz, Oh my god! but the children are screaming in the background, someone's got EastEnders on, you know and you don't know what's going on and I feel traumatised by zoom at the minute
2: yeah you come out uh, well it's men who bring bringing the family together and men to well, <laughs> make you feel loads better isn't it like a bit more normality but i think it has the opposite effect if we're all going to be truthful about this
1: but. i have to lie down in a dark room after i've zoomed yeah. it's a uh, it's a difficult thing
2: they don't call it zoom for no reason
1: because i'm zooming out of there straight after uh, yeah so how's this week been for you on a like, in a positive way, right? Yeah, so we, we, we said
2: we're going to try and be as positive as possible. Um, so uh, we saw old um, the Prime Minister come back, didn't we, to life. Is that uh,
1: positive?
2: Well, like, probably, if, really, if we want to be, like, let's just, you know, politics aside, it's good to have a leader of the country actually being there. Um, it does give some people, or most people, um, a bit more positive energy, which is probably what is really, really needed. Um You know, uh, politics aside, we're going to talk about politics loads during the podcast with our guest this week.
1: So we have global health consultant Alana Sheikh, who was just really, really fascinating and cleared up so much for me um she we talked about the climate crisis during this pandemic if it's responsible for the pandemic if we can expect to see more pandemics in the future
2: yeah as a result of climate change basically so the whole point of us getting her on was to uh talk about the um, impact of climate change and whether that means that we'll get more pandemics
1: and i'll just cut to the answer it's yes, hmm. we will. So I
2: thought we were trying to be positive,
1: but well, not for the reasons that you think, right? So it's really worth listening to the yeah. interview with yep. Alana, um, because she's touching on stuff there that I've just I didn't even consider, hmm. but it makes so much sense.
2: She's an incredibly intelligent human being, I'd say.
1: She, I would say, nearly as intelligent as you, Adam. She's, she's almost well, there, I, not I quite.
2: I've got a, a BA in fine art.
1: Have you? Yeah.
2: Honors B.A. Honors
1: a B.A. and then in brackets, ons. <laughs> in brackets, yeah. Barack- that's it. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, that sounds great, <laughs> doesn't it? Though. What a B.A. Ons in. Free oh yeah, north. it does
2: when you put it in. Yeah, in, at the bottom of an email. But do you ever do that? Uh,
1: no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but like, if I was a doctor, I would definitely Professor. rinse that. Professor I would Victoria. Rinse it. I, yeah, I yeah. might. Can you can you lie about that or can you get arrested?
2: Probably not arrested anymore because
1: I might just start. No
2: bothered about anything anymore, are
1: they? <laughs> I might just start signing my name, Professor Cook.
2: <laughs> like <laughs> who's should.
1: gonna stop us?
2: Yeah, exactly. Let's
1: yeah. do it. We are, okay, um, yeah. So a few of the things that we're just thinking of the positives, right? There's so many negatives at the minute. We're thinking of some of the positives, and one of the things that has come out of this that's really cool yep. is the amount of animals. That are reclaiming cities. (laughs) Reclaiming. Reclaiming those cities. Yeah.
2: So there's yeah there's like those pictures. And there's a badger
1: running Westminster.
2: Oh yeah. There's like. Bodger the badger. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. There's the wild goats in Clondudna, which is pretty cool. Um, Don't know what else like monkeys uh, running around uh, Newcastle. Uh,
1: They're just they're just jollies. (laughs) Um, Yeah. There was the deer. In London, just, yeah. like, sitting on the heath.
2: Yeah, the big um, one, the Crocs in Venice.
1: Yeah, but, like, I, what is it? are they coming there because there's just not as much movement and people about anymore?
2: Yeah, I think, like, the whole point of the all the animals coming back is because it's so much more people. Like, there's less noise, like, less cars, uh, less aeroplanes, less yeah. humans.
1: so it's like, let's just take over the canals in Venice. Mm-hmm. We aye. That's pretty brilliant. And um, we've been enjoying some pretty amazing walks.
2: Yeah. So where we live, we can literally walk out the door and we'll be out into the hills.
1: All right, show off.
2: Yeah. So. so but I mean, so but... you're all stuck in your flats in the middle of. Both the
1: city. of us. Both of us have done our <laughs> time in cities. Yeah. So right, we could like... have
2: been there like ten years like a go if this had happened we'd be stuck in the state in the city right now so yeah
1: i I shifted out the city about six years ago i'd had enough my car um was just the alarm was always going off because the (laughs) local chaps throwing stones at it and stuff like that I, i was done with the city um. so we are out in the sticks now and that's amazing so like yeah. you know you can just go and on these epic walks but i suppose the downside is you you know you're in the middle of the field yeah it's amazing the sun's been shining but then you remember oh
2: yeah, there's a We're lot all of gonna die. Death going on, which is like I don't know, it's still like imagine, remember when it first all started started and just, it just it's like you couldn't even I couldn't personally like handle it. I just and now it's like become normal and still it's like what we're on like twenty six thousand people dead from corona. Well,
1: that's only hospital deaths. I <laughs> mean, to be honest with you, it knows it's that seriously so it is so much... Mo- there are so many more than that. Yeah. 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 Um yeah, so Anyway, hey, we're not getting negative. No. Nah. <laughs> let's let's try and bring the positivity up. I mean, actually one of the things that I would like to touch on with you is um the, with you in particular Adam, I'd like to pick that little Adam Thank you. Costello brain. Um, are the health implications of lockdown right? Yeah. Because yeah. we're locking down to help the NHS, and like I think we're so lucky in this country. There are like amazing people who just totally get it, who are locking down, and they're yeah. like, yeah, we're totally supporting this really important institution. And um, but sort of like they've noticed a lot of people not booking appointments for other really important things. Yeah. So... Well,
2: there's like um, there's a lot of thing. Um... Articles in the newspaper, I suppose, about cancer patients and their treatment being cancelled. And, like, obviously we're less likely to... So if I found, like, a lump in my testicles or something, Mm. I'm less likely to go to the doctor just because I don't want to bother the doctor about that lump. Um, So, yeah, there's going to be... So, yeah, it just gets you thinking, like, and all the mental health issues. Like, are we causing, like, even more problems by all these like yeah the lockdown situation that we're thrown into uh which i don't know it's just it's so hard like to know and in a way i just hope that you know uh, like old boris johnson said that we're past the peak i just hope that we can trust the government's judgment now and take it for what it is uh again we talk we talk about that during this podcast with alana So it's well worth listening to. Like I can't stress how important actually it is to listen to what she says.
1: Will on a personal note, we've not really talked about this, but will you be taking Will you be following government advice?
2: Um. No.
1: Me me neither.
2: (laughs) No, I don't. I don't think I will. I don't know. Like it depends what it is. Like it. It it really depends. I don't know. I just don't think they can make any more mistakes now um oh hang on hang on just
1: hold my beer right (laughs) because the um they we've watched them like make mistake after mistake herd immunity i think we're now beginning to realize was a massive mistake
2: yeah you know which again we talk about with alana yeah Um, it's yeah i mean it's interesting to get like a total expert's opinion on this Mm. and also look at someone's outside perspective of what the UK have done um, and also to listen to her advice about what news to trust and what advice to actually take we can't advise anyone but personally I'm just going to I mean, look after number one and t- make our own decisions for our, what be- what is best for our family. Yeah. And, and it's just, I mean, surely that's what everyone should should be doing. Just look, you know.
1: Yeah. I mean, for me, once the the exit strategy is released, I'm definitely, after I've been to McDonald's and, you know, like <laughs> licked as much as possible, I will be coming back home and locking myself. Licked. <laughs> I'll be coming back home and locking myself away again for the <laughs> foreseeable future. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, anyway, should we go to Alana?
2: Yeah, that's it. So let's go to see Lion. Let's, let's
1: go to see Lion. See
2: Um Yeah, about the permafrost. So yeah. um, as the permafrosts are melting, there's obviously different types of gases which have been um, in, well, encased in ice for like millions of years or thousands of years. Is it the case that viruses and diseases potentially uh, can come from the permafrosts? And is it possible that COVID-19 could have come from that?
0: Okay, so I'm not a virologist, so I can't really speak to the survivability of viruses and bacteria like that. It's certainly something people are talking about, mm-hmm. uh, but I don't have the technical background to tell you, you know, whether or not that's likely. I will tell you that's not where COVID-19 came from.
3: Okay.
0: I mean, it is the seventh coronavirus that has come through. Coronaviruses have been circulating the human population for literally thousands of years. It's not in any way surprising or unusual that we got another one. So um, it it comes from animal reservoirs. It crossed over into people. That's the thing that happens. Yeah.
1: So is that quite common for that to happen? Yeah.
0: So lots of diseases are zoonotic. Lots of them. Lots of them infect animals and people. Yeah. And the thing that makes them really terrifying is when they spread person to person as well. Yeah. Uh, The classic one we talk about is avian influenza, Mm -hmm. bird flu. Because like every year farmers in Europe, in the UK, in the US, Mexico have to call huge populations because of bird flu. And it recurs every single year because the wild birds just keep bringing it back. But avian influenza, I think we have something like five cases where it's ever, um, you know, I'm not sure we have any confirmed cases where it has spread person to person. It is always human beings being infected by the birds.
2: Right, yeah, I didn't know that. And
0: it's when the zoonotic disease lets human beings infect each other that we are really in trouble like we are now.
2: Okay, so is that why COVID-19 is so bad? Because it's become person-to-person? Yeah.
0: Yes, because it didn't just spread from animals to us, it spreads amongst us.
2: Okay, so when was like the last time that that happened in the history of pandemics? Has it actually have happened before? Or it's come from animals? Ebola. Ebola right, is a zoonotic
0: right. disease that right. spread from, actually I think also a bat. to the 2013, 2015 outbreak um, started with a boy who was infected by a bat. Probably like was playing in a cave and was bitten.
1: Right. Oh man, that's like the stuff like from a horror film or something like that, isn't it? Right, like
0: if it was a comic book, he would have developed superpowers. But since (laughs) it's not, we just got a terrible pandemic. Oh man. I mean,
1: this whole thing does feel a bit like, uh, you know, like a horror novel sort of unfolding, doesn't it? Um, Yeah, so one of the things I wanted to touch on was in your TEDx talk, you talked a little bit about how with the um, rainforests sort of being burnt down and uh, all of this happening, we are going to be uncovering more diseases that humans have never been in contact with before. Yeah, and that's,
0: could you just expand a little bit on that? Okay, so there are a lot of animal diseases that can, in fact, infect people, a lot of them, but most of them we avoid by just not running into them. I mean, you and I don't get avian influenza because we don't make contact with birds, right? We're not like cuddling wild birds. We're not farming domestic birds. We're not running into birds. We don't get avian influenza. Um, All sorts of salmonella, right? Salmonella, it's in turtles. And like, if you don't cuddle a turtle, you don't get salmonella. So there's lots of diseases that are endemic in animals that can infect people and don't because we don't run into those animals. There are specific diseases that happen to people who farm livestock because they're in contact with livestock. But for most of us, we don't have that many animals in our lives. And therefore we don't come into this. So as soon as we start making contact with animals, we risk getting their diseases. And when we make contact with populations of animals, that it never met people before, then we meet brand new infections that we don't have any immunity for. Our systems aren't prepared for them, and just wow. Mm-hmm. So the idea is that you know, if you go into the rainforest and you're in spaces where like very few humans have been before, and you're coming into contact with animals that have never spread these diseases to humans before, you can be infected by something brand new. Yeah, yeah. Or not exactly brand new, not freshly involved, brand new to human beings. Okay. And we don't have any way of
1: dealing with that. obviously, we've not seen these. So do you, would you say this is that is like a direct result of the climate crisis?
0: So I think it's a piece of a big mess, and it all goes together, actually. So one of the reasons that people start hacking into the African bush or the rainforest, or wherever. Um, One of the reasons they get desperate enough to hunt wild animals for food is because they're desperately poor and they're hungry and they want farmland or they want meat. And a big reason that happens to people, especially with small scale farmers, is because climate change leads to their farmland producing less. Sometimes because climate change means they have to use more irrigation water. And if you don't irrigate correctly, then you make your soil overly uh, salty and then it doesn't produce properly. Sometimes because they were dependent on rainfall, and when the rainfall moves, then they can't farm it anymore because their land is dry and they're looking for land that gets rain. So, this pressure on small scale farmers created by climate change is the pressure that shoves people into hacking out new farms. Mm-hmm yeah
2: is it the case as well like um because you read obviously about the insects being made extinct or just the, the amount of insects that we don't have anymore it's um, terrifying yeah yeah so i mean the whole climate crisis uh recipe if you like um does it all create a better uh recipe a better uh, um, possibility of pandemics happening And as climate change gets worse and all these different factors, like um, is it just the case that we are going to get more pandemics because because of climate change?
0: Another big factor to think about is tropical diseases that need sort of specific climate zones and temperatures to infect people and survive. And that as the warm and wet parts of the earth get bigger, as the tropical zone expands, then the range of those diseases is going to expand. Like we already see malaria in new places and other diseases like malaria vector-borne diseases as the vectors find new habitats are going to spread so um, that's one thing that climate change is going to have a direct effect on and we have plenty of existing diseases that have the capacity to do terrible things to us we don't even need a brand new virus or bacteria to wreak havoc we've got existing ones that can do plenty of damage
1: Mm, that's actually something i wanted to hit on because we're obviously you know in the uk I don't know if you've heard, but we've we've got some pretty terrible leadership going on here at the minute, and there's a lot of conflict and advice that's coming around. And what one of the things that's been said is that the virus can disappear with the heat. Um, But from what you've just touched on there, um, and from what we sort of already know, is that heat and sort of like muggy conditions can be like the perfect growing ground for for the virus
0: um, is that what you think what, what what's your opinion on it so different pathogens like different climates and covid19 does not like heat and it does not like humidity mm. um, the us tdc actually released some test results that show that like sunlight and humidity and warmer temperatures do seem to reduce how long the virus survives so and if you look backwards um sars was a coronavirus so was mers Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, and both of those turned out to be seasonal and they did subside in the summer. So when people are hoping that summer and heat is the answer, that's what they're basing it on, that this sort of lab testing around how long the virus survives on surfaces and then the evidence of previous coronaviruses and their pattern as infections. That being said, we had a COVID-19 outbreak in Singapore. Singapore is not cold. Singapore is hot, Singapore is tropical. Singapore is humid. Um, I'm here in Sri Lanka, which is right now, it's pretty much always 86 degrees and humid. And people are still getting infected with COVID-19. So maybe summer's going to help, maybe not. It's not something that, it's not a good choice to bet on that as the solution. But COVID-19 is not going to get worse in the summer because it's not a virus that likes heat. There Mm. are pathogens that do because different viruses, different bacteria like different things, but COVID-19 is not one that likes the heat.
2: Cool. Um, Yeah, just, I mean, you said about surfaces there. Um, One of the things that we've been doing, um, whether we've just read it or got advice from somewhere, is when we go to the shops and bring our shopping home, uh, when it was all kicking off and we were most, the most scared we were through this, we were like bleaching all the uh packets and the plastic and the all the tins
1: yeah but then i was having a heart attack that we were going to eat, eat bleach instead
2: <laughs> um but then we have just slowly like just started to wipe stuff down with soap hot soap and hot water um how how much is the virus how you know how long does it exist on certain surfaces should everyone be wiping down their shopping after going shopping um what's the best advice do you think uh, to stop any spread
0: so public health officials, like the various public health authorities, are not recommending sanitizing your groceries. Right. Um, there's no known cases of someone being infected that way. Yep. That being said, we do know that the virus does survive on surfaces, and it has a range of survival from something like three hours to, I think, 10 days, depending on the surface and its exact makeup. Right. And it is not impossible that if you touched a surface that had live virus on it and then scratched your nose, rubbed your eye, you could in fact be infected. Like there is a plausible chain of infection there. So that's sort of a personal decision to decide about like what is reasonable and what is your risk tolerance on that. Mm -hmm. I know people that do sanitize their groceries and I know people that don't and I don't think either set of people is wrong.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? Uh, from because obviously, you're a global health expert, so you can see country read, to country read, the advice differs, you know. Um, on your TEDx talk, you talked about um potentially not wearing face masks, um, but then in some countries, they say you must wear a face masks. Well, Scotland at the minute is one of those countries, Um so. You know, the, oh, I just wondered, really, as a global health expert, looking at this as a big picture, how much does politics affect the, the truth of the advice that we're given?
0: So it's not, in most cases, politics in the sense that we're thinking of. What it is, is this is a really new virus, really new, and we don't know that much about it like it is May 1st, it emerged in December, we have less than six months of data about this pathogen. And what that means is that we don't really have a lot of actual information. We have estimates, and we have theories, and we have models. And we have really good estimates and really good theories and really good models. And then we have numbers from the outbreaks that we've seen to the extent that they've been shared and reported, and to the extent that those numbers are accurate. But again, because It happened so fast and it was so new that even numbers that are reported to the best of everyone's abilities are not necessarily accurate or consistent. So there's no like obvious, this is one truth that everyone should be hewing to. Yeah. So what you have is every country has a team of experts that sit around and look at the various estimates and theories and models and try to come up with the best recommendations for one local circumstance. And it's entirely possible that like one really sound and qualified team of experts is going to come up with a different set of recommendations than a different team. And it's not politics. It's that There's nothing hard and fast right now. So people are depending on professional judgment and looking at historical models and projecting forward. And it's, I mean, I don't want to say it's an educated guess. That is sort of an overstatement, but it is an estimate. And it's an estimate based on this team of experts' best data and best Mm -hmm. theories. So it's not surprising that different national authorities are going to come up with different conclusions. Mm -hmm. Uh, The mask thing I get asked about all the time, So in the talk, I was quoting the current guidance at the time from WHO and CDC, which was basically that when you're having limited mask supply, um, they should go to healthcare providers. Yeah. Yeah. And that the primary purpose of a mask, and this remains true, the primary purpose of a mask is not to protect yourself, it's to protect the people around you. And at the time, we didn't know as much about asymptomatic transmission as we know now. So, you know, I said masks are for sick people. And right now, anybody could be a sick person. That's what changed since I gave the TED Talk, is that we don't know who the sick people are. So everyone has to wear a mask like they're a sick person. All right. Okay. So you think everybody should wear a mask? I am not going to place my own judgment ahead of the WHO. And right now, the WHO is recommending masks. Let's yeah, just leave yeah, it there. Yeah,
2: yeah. But what what I found throughout the whole uh, experience of this is just like it's better to be just having the philosophy of it's better to be safe than sorry, and um, just like do doing as much as you possibly can just to try and stop it until we know more, because well, it's such a short space of time that we've had to learn and adjust our lives to this that we're just better to be more precautionary than than not.
0: I mean, the flip side is that with masks in particular. If they give you a false sense of security and yeah. cause people to socially distance less, that's a problem. And then so many people wear them wrong and use them wrong that they can actually put themselves at greater risk by wearing okay.
3: hmm.
0: so, you So know, it's not necessarily a case of taking every possible precaution because if you're not really trained to use it. And then COVID-19 transmits through mucous membranes. Your nose is a mucous membrane, so are your eyeballs. So you're wearing a mask, someone sneezes on your face, they still got your eyes yeah yeah so really the mask is not to protect yourself is to protect other people so like we, you reduce the risk a little bit to yourself but you reduce the risk a lot to other people yeah so maybe
1: a motorcycle helmet is best <laughs> and a mask underneath And you look really cool in it as well so it's good um one thing i wanted to touch on you with is it's a really hard question Um so don't feel like you know you have to g- give us a straight answer but um Around the world, looking at the way different leaders have tackled this, it does seem to be that countries with women at the helm (laughs) seem to be tackling this much better.
0: I just wondered if that's something you've got any thoughts on? So if you look at the data around female leadership, beyond just pandemics, but female leadership in general, Women tend to make more pro-social decisions and more decisions as leaders that support health and healthcare. So this is merely an extension of a trend that already exists. Ah, right. Yeah, yeah.
2: Whereas men probably go for the economy, and will just stick with that for as long as they possibly can.
0: Well, I think that's. I mean, supporting healthcare in the long run does support the economy. I would argue. Yeah,
2: totally. So. Yeah, and that's the madness behind it, really, isn't it? Um, yeah, I suppose like with the economy in mind as well, like we can talk about like the cities and air pollution, and we've read loads about like uh, how air pollution has made it much worse for people, is that because of the breathing problems in cities and as the economy obviously has to completely halt, um, and therefore the air pollution goes down because we're not in our, using our cars and public transport and things. Um, how much does like the pandemic and COVID-19 have to do with air pollution and is it is it much worse is it going to be much worse in places that are, are polluted for people
0: so air pollution compromises your lungs it means your lungs are always working a little bit harder they're always taking in a little bit of damage mm-hmm. and when you have a respiratory infection you're going to be far more vulnerable to uh, death and severe complications from that infection if your lungs were already harmed and working overtime mm-hmm. Mm, so, the damage is already
1: there, I think the same as well actually with smokers we've like well in this country particularly, we've not really heard a lot about They've... yeah i
2: mean you you t- you touch on it massively about giving up smoking as this an amazing opportunity for people to give up smoking um but then yeah we've not we've not really read much in our um like in our media about like stopping smoking and like talking about the respiratory um from air pollution the problems that you can get from that is is smoking a massive no-no during this during this situation
0: yeah i mean it's creating your own personal intense fog of air pollution and carrying it around with you
1: Um, so yeah it's yeah sorry
0: and like the one piece of feedback i often get like when other global health people mention this talk to me one of the things they always say is i'm so glad you mentioned smoking Because for some reason it's not getting that much attention as a risk factor. A lot of people think that's the reason that the death rates among men are higher because men are more likely to smoke. Okay. Oh, really?
1: Yeah. Could that be... Sorry, I know you're not a doctor or a nurse or anything, but could that possibly be genetic as well? So, like, for example, if, like, members of your family have smoked, um, could that have an effect on your lungs and make your lungs weaker?
0: I don't... If you grew up in a house where your parents smoked and you were breathing secondhand smoke, yes, that harms your yeah, lungs. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. If your parents smoked and then you were adopted and you grew up somewhere else completely, no. There's no epigenetics that I know of around smoking. Yeah. But if you grew up in a household that smokes, yes, your lungs smoked too, whether or not you actually had the cigarette in your mouth.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah, this is a bit of a big one for that we've noticed in this country. Um, when you check the news and everything, we've noticed that a lot of um, BAME um, and ethnic minorities have been more affected by this pandemic in particular in this country uh, and especially when you look at the uh, doctors and nurses who have died in the UK um they're all from ethnic minorities rather than white. Um, we're just really interested to find out if you have any opinion of like why that is, does it affect um, ethnic minorities more because Of their genetics um,
1: or Or is it is it basically the social impact of being a being member of the community in this country, you know, you're much more likely to be placed in a job where you're more at risk?
0: Yeah, it's racism. It's not anything genetic, it's not anything physiological, it's racism. Um, we're seeing the same thing in the states where infection and death rates are higher in black communities. And it's just a whole big, massive, interconnected factors. Um, You're more likely to be in a high-risk job. You're less likely to get extra protection. Um, What kind of houses do they go home to? Um, Are they more likely to be in lower-income housing? Are they more likely to have more people in one house because that's what they can afford? Yeah. Um, You know, it's really tempting to be like, "Oh, it's something you know, physiological," but it's not. It's racism. It's structural Mm -hmm. racism. And I know that you're talking about healthcare providers, which is a, a high-status profession, so we're talking doctors, nurses, people who are making professional income doing professional jobs, Yeah. but the fact remains they face racism every day in the way they're treated by the people around them, and that makes you prone to a whole host of health conditions, and even doctors or nurses who are people of color and not white face um Challenges to accessing healthcare, face challenges to getting the best possible care, even though they're healthcare professionals themselves. Like racism is strong enough to cause those problems.
1: Yeah, yeah absolutely. I think um, I read uh, an article today that said there's a lot of middle class white people that are sending BAME people to risk their life, which, you know, feels uh, really true. Yeah. Uh, lovely. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um...
1: Something I'd be really interested in actually is. Um, which countries do you think are doing, I mean, there's the obvious ones like New Zealand <laughs> who are just absolutely smashing it, but which countries for you really stand out as tackling this really well?
0: Um, because they've taken a different stance on how to deal with it. So there's sort of different aspects of what different countries are doing that you can look at. Um, Germany is doing a fantastic job of testing, 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 testing. And when you can test everybody, then you have the kind of data you need to make really good public health decisions. Without the testing, you don't have the data. So Germany also has a really low death rate. But my guess is Germany has a low death rate because they're testing so many people, they're picking up all the people who are infected but asymptomatic. And so as soon as you make the denominator bigger, you're lowering the death rate because they're actually catching everyone that's infected countries that are testing less are not actually identifying everybody who's infected, which both means that they have trouble slowing the spread and that their um, different ratios and rates are not accurate because the is wrong. So Germany is interesting. Germany also has more intensive care capacity than other countries of a similar size and income level. I don't know why it is, but it's true. Well, I read it was true. Um, so that's interesting. So Germany is interesting because they're being successful once it's spread of getting on top of it, of good doing good testing, doing good treatment. Whereas other countries like New Zealand that you named is doing a good job of getting ahead of it, slowing the spread. Yeah. So it's sort of country by country when you look at what's going on, there's sort of some interesting examples.
1: So do you think it, it is possibly a mixture of those two things that is going to help a country get ahead? So loads of testing and also maybe, I mean, I'll, but one of the things we wanted to ask you was our, the UK in particular, locked down about two weeks later. Uh, yeah, um,
2: yeah, when, when you know, when it was all happening and we we were on it and you were obviously looking at Italy and we, we could see the like, slight timeline happening of about two weeks where the UK seemed to not really do anything. No one made any like solid decision. And we even took our kids out of school a week before the schools closed and um, we just felt like why is nothing being done and um, it was definitely this two week period that kind of just nothing really happened uh, and then we did the lockdown um, so yeah how much does that how much do you think that possibly contributes contributes to like more more people suffering and more people dying with a later lockdown
0: So it's my understanding that like the UK was trying to implement a herd immunity policy and protect the vulnerable people and let it spread among healthy people. And that it was based on an actual analysis and expert recommendations and did not turn out to be accurate. But it, it was my understanding that it's not so much that nothing was done, was that the approach they chose turned out to be wrong, but it could have been right.
3: Okay. Like
0: history has shown it wasn't right, like, as it turned out, but it could have been the right approach. And if it had been, they would have looked brilliant.
3: Yeah, so it it
0: wasn't necessarily a let's not do anything. It was a choice. It just turned out to be the wrong one. And that is going to happen even when you're listening to public health guidance, even when you're listening to the professionals, because this is new, and this is emerging, and we're still trying to figure it out. Mm -hmm. I mean, as it happens, yes, a lot of people got infected in the UK that wouldn't have been infected if movement restrictions had been put in place sooner. And a lot of people probably died. Yeah, yeah I it, yeah.
3: It's, it's uh, hindsight
0: yeah. is twenty twenty. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, I mean, some countries. I think is it Sweden that have chosen not to lock down at all.
0: <laughs> Everybody asks me about Sweden. I do not know what is up. Sweden. <laughs> I keep reading about Sweden, and I don't get it. I do not understand
2: but i um I've read that because it's a relatively big country with a small um like the population is just not as concentrated, and whether those the people in that country as well are actually more controllable and get it and they'll not and they will just social distance themselves um and te- you know whereas like other countries the public are a bit more out of control, let's say and won't abide by certain rules or like a, but I just heard that the concentration of people in Sweden is so much less that it's not as likely to spread because um the dens- d- density of the population, basically.
0: I mean, I've been looking at the case numbers in Sweden. It doesn't really support that. Okay. Like it is spreading in Sweden.
1: Right. Oh, right, okay. We're not hearing that in this country. Mm. So <laughs> so, it, so it is actually spreading in Sweden.
0: And... I mean, I haven't looked at the numbers in a little while, so, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I'm not sure, but last time I checked, yes, there were new cases in Sweden that was spreading. Um, and I. this is me, this is my judgment, and probably the people who made the decision about Sweden are better trained and more experienced than I am. But I think that we underestimate the impact on healthy people. I think it's easy to say, oh, it goes easy on children, it goes easy on younger people, it's only dangerous for the immunocompromised and the elderly. But a lot of middle-aged people, a lot of people in their 30s and 40s and 50s, They get this and they recover, but their lung capacity is permanently damaged. Um, The experience of having been on a ventilator is really traumatic. Um, Like there's a lot of reasons that it's unpleasant, even if it doesn't kill you. And I think there's a tendency to look at it as like how many people die from this? Okay, not that many, you know, if you're looking at the demographics, but the fact is that getting it and not dying is still really awful and Mm -hmm. has the potential for lifetime disability. Right. Oh, okay.
2: Yeah, yeah. Because you see the whole uh, statistics with it, and you see the, the number of people infected, and then you see the number of people recovered, and then the number of deaths. So that number that's like massive infections versus the recovered. Are the recovered, as far as you know, the people that have fully recovered, or could they just be the people that have recovered?
0: They're the people that aren't infected with the virus anymore.
2: Is that it? That's right. what
0: recovered means. Okay. It doesn't mean that it didn't leave them with damage. And if you look in particular in Italy. You look at people who've recovered. Like they're talking about, you know, I will never take a deep breath again. Like my lung capacity will never be what it once was.
2: Right. Yeah. I we don't. I didn't know that at all. No. Yeah.
0: yeah. I think. I think we are quite limited on what we're.
2: Yeah. A bit. A big one to ask as well. Like, um, because in particular in the UK, you'll know about the media here and the tabloids, and we're probably the most probably one of the worst countries. Uh, renowned for having really bad press that's like uh, owned by billionaires and always has an agenda. Uh, so people trust different me- media outlets, you know, like uh, similar to America, I suppose. But in this country, I think people tend to really trust certain media outlets. Which one, which media uh, company, let's say, or newspaper should we be trusting the most? Um,
1: I think we're asking where do you get your information? Yeah, do.
2: Where do we get this? The, the, The truth.
0: (laughs) I mean, I just read a lot is what I do. I I read a wide range of things, and I also um, I follow various global health experts on Twitter, and I sort of use them as my filter to identify high quality articles.
3: Mm -hmm. And then
0: I also I have sort of colleagues in a community of practice that I talk this over with, and like there's certain things that surface that everybody talks about that gets our attention. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there was that Imperial College modeling that told us 18 months. That was one of the big things you know, that sort of came out that everybody was talking about in my community of practice. But to me, it's not so much about picking one trusted outlet as like reading a wide wide range of materials and looking for the points of agreement and getting a sense of who's saying what. Okay. Yeah. And then if you're reading a particular article, um, because COVID-19 is so new and because we don't have like specific hard facts yet, because everything is estimates and models and theories, if you're reading an article and the author seems to be cherry picking all of the good estimates or all of the bad estimates, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. That's, and they, as an author is writing, they should tell you why this is the estimate they're relying on. Why did they pick this one? And if they don't tell you that, there's a problem with the article. Hmm. So um, if everything they pick is the, the soft end and the, the lowest numbers, then there's a problem with the article. If everything they pick is the hard end and scary end, there's a problem. And if they don't tell you why they're using these estimates, there's a problem. So a reliable article, the author tells you, I'm using this estimate, this is why. Probably several different times as they go through it. Yeah. yeah.
2: Cool. Um. One, Um. The, the big thing that's happened now, like our prime minister has recovered from uh his, his COVID experience, um so he was actually in he did the daily briefing yesterday um and straight away he's like obviously oh, as positive as he can be um but he's talking about an exit strategy um after the lockdown um so with like that in mind and as they open up schools in whatever way they may do it um should we be trusting and how cautious do we need to be as like members of the public? Do we follow the government? Um, should we do our own thing? Should we, should we be really scared of a second wave and when that might be? Um, what, what, would you, what would you advise really?
0: A couple things. In my opinion and that of most other people I've talked to, there isn't going to be a single second wave. Okay. But there's going to be a sort of a series of wavelengths that every time people are allowed to move a little more, there'll be another wave of infection. So it's not that there's going to be another second wave that looks like this one. It's like there's going to be a repeated series of waves, basically, until we get a vaccine. Just again and again and again. Probably never as big as this one, but pretty severe and continuing. Mm. And Um, that is worth worrying about. Yeah. And if you look already at some of the earliest places of infection, like you look at Singapore, Singapore's already showing that pattern okay i see yeah is that globally then oh i think that will happen globally yeah
1: yeah so it's more than likely at some point most of us are going to catch it
0: i don't feel comfortable just saying that because i don't have the expertise but a lot of the estimates i've seen indicate like 60 to 70 percent yes and that would be most of us
1: so, we just need a vaccine as soon as possible, don't we We need a vaccine, yeah, yeah, and we but I think we're looking at maybe a year away from that at a minimum yeah
2: yeah the the I mean one of the last points Will, because we're getting quite close to thirty four minutes are you, are you still okay to carry on talking yeah yeah um one of the the big ones that no one seems to know is that if you do get an inf- infected um, and you recover from it, can you actually catch it again? <laughs>
0: So we don't know yet.
2: Yeah, we just don't know.
0: That's one of the big things researchers are really looking at. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, right now, the current state of the evidence indicates that most people will develop immunity, but not all. Okay. But that is a working theory. That's not something we have hard data for.
2: So is that is that the case with so if when we is it similar to the flu? So when we get the common flu every year and we just can easily recatch the flu the next year, is it as is it similar sort of thinking behind it all? Is that the same sort of, like COVID, it just can reinfect?
0: So different kinds of pathogens provide different levels of immunity after you're infected and recovered.
3: Okay.
0: Um, some of them that you have for a lifetime. Like if you were unfortunate enough to live before the measles vaccine, getting the measles protected you from measles for your entire life. Right. So there's one end. The other end is, yeah, things like influenza, things like the common cold, which you can get again and again and again. Mm-hmm. and like you're not likely to get the same cold within a month it's like there's some immunity there
2: okay good mm. yeah lovely yeah, amazing
1: yeah uh thank you so yeah. much for that and sorry for sort of bombarding you with some really dumb questions um <laughs> <no dumb> questions. <laughs> um, but that's been massively helpful. Yeah, that's brilliant.
2: We, we always try I think we try and end with like um one bit of big advice that you can try and give us um before we go away. If there's anything that you think you could advise us to do during the during this time and um, that might help.
0: So one thing you did ask me that I didn't answer was like, what do you do if you're not sure you trust the advice from your own government or your own health department? And like we have an internet now. So one thing you can always do is go back to the World Health Organization and look at what are they recommending globally. If your country isn't following that, why do they have an explanation? Okay. And does that explanation make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I know there's people in states in the U.S. right now that are reopening and they feel like these decisions doesn't make sense. Okay. And just because your location is reopening does not mean that you personally have to start going out there in the world again. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, track the sort of global state of knowledge as well as your local health department information. And if they don't match, look at why they don't match. And sometimes it might be that they're right. Like local health departments started moving on the mask issue ahead of when WHO did. So probably they were right. They were being more conservative. But there are gonna be other times where there are considerations that you may not agree with involved. Mm -hmm. And that's a case to think about like, do my country's recommendations or my state or my city match with the global state of the art? And think about that one. Yeah, excellent advice.
2: Oh, thank you so much again. Yeah, thanks so much, Alana. It's been brilliant. Yeah. Is it okay in Sri Lanka? What's the situation there?
0: Yeah, we're on total like 24-hour curfew. Oh,
2: yeah. And, you
0: know, we're an island. We got the curfew in early. Yeah. Like, we're getting new infections, but I I feel like we're on top of it right now.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. And an amazing part of the world to be in.
2: Near the beach.
0: I mean, if I was allowed out of my house, I could walk to the beach, yes. Oh, so i mean not not a particularly swimmable beach because the stretch of colombo where the beaches has some terrible riptides so it's not all that safe but i could certainly yeah. go look at it
2: yeah yeah,
1: yeah. oh nice
2: <laughs> nice amazing
0: yeah well yeah stay safe yeah. and again Thank
1: thanks you. so much really great my trip. pleasure so that was the brilliant global health expert alana sheik what there. a great name It is a really great name. I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, So if you're interested in more of Alana, she's actually written a book called What's Killing Us? A Practical Guide to Understanding Our Biggest Global Health Problems. Um, she's got like a bachelor's degree from Georgetown University, a master's degree in public health from Boston University. So this lass knows her stuff. Yeah. Um, she's also on Instagram as well. If you want to give her a little follow on Instagram. Mm. Um.
2: And the TED Talk, I suppose, like that's mm. like so the TED Talk, which where we found out about her was recorded on March the sixth this year, and it's obviously all about COVID. Um. So it's as well as this podcast it's well worth watching that and just it's it's really worth watching that just to see where we were up to um on march the 6th to where we are up to now and the updated information that she talks about in the podcast which you've just listened to
1: yeah it's definitely worth a listen it's just fascinating um so if you want to catch alana on instagram she's just alana shake a-l-a-n-n-a and shake is s-h-a-i-k-h so, uh, I recommend you follow her. She's, she puts out some, some pretty great content, and I'm really jealous of uh, some of the amazing food she cooks in Sri Lanka. Like, oh, my mouth's watering. She'll cook as well. Uh, no, I think she's just dead good at it.
2: Oh, do you?
1: Because I stalk her on Instagram, <laughs> and like, my mouth's watering because at oh, the right. minute we're just on rations, lockdown rations. Oh, no way. So, yeah. I'll um, There you go.
2: We'll put her uh, account in the show notes and stuff anyway.
1: Yeah, so you can have a look. Um, And we will see you next week.
2: See you next week.